Good afternoon, everyone. It is so great to be here with you today. Isn't God good? Isn't it good just to be able to experience his presence? And I believe that happens when we come together to worship him, to honor him. And I, I'm just so excited about what God is doing here today. And I want to remind you before I dive into what God has put on my heart to share uh, this afternoon, that first of all, let's not forget to pray for the teens when they're at camp this week. They're going to be gone from Sunday all the way till Thursday morning. And I just want to encourage you, just in your prayer time, just to pray that they will experience everything that God has for them. And for those, I know there's a lot of teens sitting here right now. I want you to know that we're going to be praying for you, believing that this is going to be one of the most impactful weeks of your life. And I believe as we lift up our prayers, it'll just release more of God's grace and anointing on that place. And again, I also want to remind you that next Sunday is going to be one of those very unique Sundays in that we go from having our normal two services just to one at 1030. So be aware of that. If you show up at 1130, you're going to be like, what is going on here? If you show up at noon, it'll all be over and we'll be having lunch outside. Uh, so I want to encourage you just to mark that down, be, a, be, be prepared for that. And if you haven't uh, signed up for what you're going to bring food-wise, please do that so we know what's coming and what maybe uh, we're going to have to help with here. Well, today we're uh, uh, concluding our series called The Bible Says What? Um, I don't know about you, but I find that there are many passages that I find at times are difficult to understand. Uh, you know, when you're reading your Bible or you look at some scriptures, sometimes things can be a little bit confusing. Or, or maybe when you're reading it, it, it kind of challenges or goes against what you initially believed. And so you're kind of like, how does that fit in there? And so today, one of those scriptures that was a bit confusing for me when I first read it was this scripture, and we're going to kind of just do this as a warm-up today as we, uh, before we get into what I feel like God's really put in my heart, and we're going to look at this scripture in Matthew 19.24 that says this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the first time that I read that, I thought it was one of the most funny thoughts. The picture that came into my, my mind was how could this big hairy, slobbery camel fit through a, a sewing needle. That is not just difficult. That is absolutely impossible. There is no way that that could ever happen. And, 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 and so here's what we have to be careful of. And the reason that I say we need to look at Scripture sometimes and really figure out, is that what the Bible is really trying to say? Because if I translated that literally, what the Scripture really would be saying is that it's impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. Now, who believes that's the truth? Nobody here. We, we don't believe that it's impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. So then, if it's not impossible, because it would be absolutely impossible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Well, what's the Bible really sharing with us? Well, when it talks about the eye of the needle, what the Bible was really talking about was not actually a sewing needle, but in the wall of Jerusalem, there was an entrance a gate that was made for nighttime uh, passage. Because during the day, 
They would have this massive city gates that people could walk in and out of. Yes, there would be guards. Yes, there would be people guarding them. But you could put whole caravans of people could go through them. But at night, to secure the city, they would have what they called in the Jerusalem wall the needle or the needle gate. And, and so this gate was only big enough for an average size person to be able to fit through. And so when Jesus is talking about this idea that it would be difficult for a rich person to enter the, uh, the kingdom of heaven as it would be for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, what he was actually sharing was this, that in order for a camel to fit through that door, first of all, they would have to remove all of their baggage, all of their cargo, all of the things that, they, that were being carried on the camel. And secondly, the camel would have to kneel down and would have to be gingerly placed through that opening. Now, when you understand that that's the context of the scripture, doesn't it change the meaning here a little bit? First of all, it's difficult but not impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. Why would it be difficult? Well, like many of us, we like to hold on to all of our stuff. And what Jesus was really trying to say, because this was part of the story where he had talked to the rich young ruler about what he would need to do in order to experience the kingdom of God, Jesus was actually telling him, look, you've you got to put me first in your life. You've got to let go of things in order to really serve me. Who here finds that that's what God challenges you about many times? That you've got to let go of some different things. Secondly, that when we approach God, it should be from a place of humility and honor and respect that we humble ourselves as we approach the throne of God. Now, that's not what I'm going to be preaching about today. That was just a little, little extra thing for you to kind of chew on and ponder. Today, I've got something that I think is a little bit deeper. It's a passage that I think is quite difficult, and what I'm going to talk about will probably be challenging to each one of you in some places. Because here's what we're going to talk about as we continue our series, The Bible Says What? Did Jesus really say that it is possible for us or somebody to lose their salvation? Is it possible to lose your salvation? Let's open our Bibles, if you would, with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 21. And I want to read this story. This is Jesus who's talking to his disciples and to another crowd that has gathered. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Wow. Wow, how do we reconcile that? That's a lot of stuff. Well, I wanted to start off by saying this. I've lost a lot of things in my life over the years. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes holding on to my car keys can be uh, uh, an adventure. I know that, uh, that sometimes I'm heading out the door, I'm trying to go to work, and it's like, where are my keys? Where's my wallet? And, I, and of course, I do what every uh, good husband does. I go to my wife, have you seen my stuff? Like somehow it's her responsibility. 
which it isn't. You know, I, I've lost a lot of things. When I was growing up, my, my dad used to wonder at the beginning of each school year whether it would be one or two weeks until I donated another jacket to some unknown child. I always was losing my jacket. In fact, I think in my grade three school year, I donated five jackets to other people. It was an amazing thing. Uh, uh, sometimes I've lost some money. Who here's ever lost some money? Uh, you've misplaced it. Uh, just a few years ago, I discovered 20 U.S. dollars in the pocket of some ski pants that I had not worn in over 20 years. It was like, whoa, where did this come from? It was funny and sad at the same time. But one of the craziest situations where I almost lost my wedding ring within 24 hours of getting married. Who here thinks that would not be a, a, a positive development early on in that part of your relationship? So what had happened is I was, as I was washing my hands in the sh shower and I was soaping up my hands, my ring slipped off of my finger and started in a moment to, to it seemed like a, a, a moment, it was in a moment, but it felt like eternity headed towards the drain of the shower. Well, I was like, oh, this is not good. With one fell swoop, swoop though, by God's grace, I was able not only to save the ring, but I believe I saved my marriage as well that day. It's a good story now, but it would not have been something. Could you imagine coming out of the story? Hey, honey, uh, I got something to talk to you about. Where's your ring? That's what I want to talk to you about. Now, when it comes to faith in God, when I was 11 years old, I became a follower of Jesus, and one of my greatest fears for the first few years of my faith journey was that I would somehow lose my salvation, that I somehow, God would re reject me, that God would say, you know what, you haven't been living the right way, you haven't been doing the right things, and that somehow I would no longer be a Christian. Now, when I was 12, I, 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 there was a, a series of movies that were presented about Jesus coming back to earth taking all of the believers with them, all the Christians with them back to heaven, and leaving behind those who are not believers. Now, if you can believe this, this was the, the very original Left Behind series. You know, uh, in the tw 2000s, they redid the movie, wrote all those books, but this was like really scary stuff. They showed people just being tortured and suffering. And I was like, God, I don't want that to happen to me. And I would lay awake at night. Some nights just, I couldn't sleep because I was so scared that somehow I, I, would, I would miss this. And I wouldn't go to heaven. I wouldn't be with Jesus. It freaked me out. And I would wonder at times if I'd really disappointed God or, or maybe committed some unforgivable sin. Have you ever had a space in your life where you, you, you question your faith? You weren't sure, are, am I really a Christian? Am I really a believer? And then I wondered if God was like other people in my life. As long as I did what they wanted me to do, they would accept me and love me in their own way. You see, that was my context It was a terrible way to live. So here's the question again today. Can you lose your salvation? Is that what Jesus was really talking about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23? 
You see, when it comes to salvation, there are two streams of thought that typically dominate Christian beliefs or what we call doctrine, foundational principles of what people believe. The two belief systems are eternal or what we would call unconditional security or conditional security. And the simple definitions of these are this. That first of all, eternal security means that when a person accepts Jesus as their personal savior, they will never have to worry about salvation. Their place in eternity with God is unconditionally secure. That's a belief that, that many hold to. And I, I want you to know I'm not sharing right now what my belief is. I'm presenting both of these thoughts because I want to, we're going to talk about this. And at the end, I'm going to tell you what I do believe or what I feel like God showed me. Conditional security means the opposite. That once a person accepts Jesus as their personal savior, their place in heaven is only secure as long as they continue to acknowledge Jesus and his teachings in their life. And that if they choose to go back to their old ways of living or reject Jesus, their salvation or place in eternity with God is not secure. What do you believe? I'm not asking for a vote right now. See, there are benefits and pitfalls if you go to the extreme of either one of these belief systems. So what are the benefits and the pitfalls of eternal security or what we sometimes call want saved, always saved? Now, before I share that part of it, I, I just, I, I, I gotta say this. I love guarantees. Who here loves when things are guaranteed? I like it when I go out for lunch, which I'm hoping to do after church. And they say, if you don't get your food within 30 minutes, it's free. I like those guarantees. I like to eat hot food. I like it when things arrive on time. Or how about this? Uh, 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 if you're not completely satisfied, it seems like there's a million commercials. Have you noticed this? For mattresses, that if you're not completely satisfied with your mattress, you can return it within 100 days for a full refund. You see that? Oh, I like that. I like that if I don't like it, that, that, that that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to take care of me. Um, what would make those guarantees better is if that they were unconditional. Isn't that true? I mean, what if you don't like the mattress after five years? Or t 10 years. Now, if you bought it at Costco, you're probably okay to take it. No, I'm just, um, it, it, it's not guaranteed anymore. It's like, no, you, 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 the, the, the warranty, the guarantee is no longer there. You see, I believe this when it comes to our relationships, that we all desire unconditional love. Who wants to receive unconditional love in your life? And what I mean by that is that the security that comes from being in a relationship that allows the other person not only to see the best parts of you, but also the worst parts of you, and still choose to love you. That's what I mean by unconditional I believe that we thrive when we don't have to worry about small or even big issues changing our relationship. The problem is that with business and even with people, those guarantees often change. Oh, people make promises to us, but they rarely keep those promises. Jesus is the only one who will never break his promises. I gotta just say that today. If he makes a promise, it is guaranteed. That if Jesus says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If he says, if you do this, then I'm going to do that, you can take it to the bank. Now, when we talk about 
eternal or unconditional security. There's some scriptures that support this. First of all, we've all probably heard this, John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who what? Who believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. So by believing in God, by believing in who he is, you now have eternal life. Hebrews 13, 5 says this, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. In, in, in other translations, God, the promise is this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise of God. I can't tell you how many times I've been in darker places in my life and I've quoted that scripture saying, God, I'm just standing on the promises. I'm feeling rejection from people. I'm feeling rejection within myself, but I'm standing on your word that says that you will never leave me or forsake me. Who here is thankful that Jesus says that today? John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Jesus is talking to here. Look, nobody's going to take you away from him is what he's saying. It's his promise. Now, when we understand eternal security or unconditional security, there are some great benefits. But if we take it to the extreme, there also can be some pitfalls. First of all, the benefits are a believer never has to worry about whether they will spend eternity with Jesus. You don't have to spend time wondering, washing, uh, do I, is God love me? Does he not love me? Is he going to take care of me? Does he, does he care about me? Am I going to be forgiven or not forgiven? If you believe in unconditional security, that's not a question. You see, then it allows us not to spend unhealthy time worrying about past mistakes. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but who here's maybe made a few mistakes in your life? All right? I think we all could raise our hands. We could all stand up. You know what's great about the grace and goodness and the favor of God? That when you trust in Jesus and you give your life to you, you don't have to worry about those things. You just give it to God, and he forgives us. Another benefit is it produces freedom to be able to grow and mature through failing forward that we can try things, and even though we don't always get it right, God's just like, come on, I'm going to pick you up and help you get going again. It gives us confidence to know that God loves us at all times and that he's on our side. Now, if we take this to the extreme, what are some of the pitfalls? Well, I believe this, that can produce a loss of reverence to the holiness of God, which can in turn produce a casual or unconcerned response to sin issues. You see, I've seen people that at times they're like, you know what, I'm a Christian, and they're like, God loves me no matter what, and it's like this, it's like it's a license to be able to do whatever they want, to sin, to party as hard as they want to, like there's no consequences for those actions. And it's like we just go to God when it's like, okay, I just need you to give me another washing, another rinsing here today, and, and, and the cycle repeats itself because there's not an awareness of the holiness and the, the, the who God is and honoring him with their life. It can produce laziness or hardness in response to the statues of God's word and, and the call on a believer's life. And lastly, I believe this, it can put us in a place where we become desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit, where we don't hear God's voice clearly. That's unconditional security. Well, what about 
Conditional security. Well, what's that all about? Well, that really saying sometimes salvation, it can be lost. You know, there are conditions on owning a home. If you're going to own a home, who knows there are conditions, that, things that you have to meet. If you take out a mortgage on that house, who here knows that if you decide not to pay your mortgage for a few months, you will no longer have a house. You could say, I decorated that house, I built that house, I made that house look nice, but there are responsibilities. You also have to maintain the house. You have to take care of it. You have to, what I learned after five years of my first home that I own, you have to sometimes change the furnace filter in the house. Because if you don't, it will fall into a place of disrepair, and eventually your house will not be someplace that you want to live. If you want to see good things, you have to actually invest in it. See, healthy relationships tend to function best in the same way. If you want to grow closer with someone or want another person to trust you, you must invest in the relationship. Is that not true? You see, only thinking of yourself or worse, treating your spouse, friend, or coworker with a lack of respect will cause disappointment distance, and eventually separation. The reality is this, is if you want to experience the benefits of the relationship, you must also accept the responsibility that goes with it. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it's important that we continue to reach out to him for growth and guidance. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus gave his life for us. And now it is our purpose to do our, his will. You see, many times I find that people forget that when Jesus, and we encountered him, one of the first things that we always talk about is, are you willing to give your life back to him? God is saying, to, to, to have the freedom and the, the favor, we've got to continuously give our life to him. And I believe this neglect Willful disregard for his commands and selfish living, 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 living can put into question whether we have really surrendered our lives to Jesus and can question whether we really belong to him. What are some scriptures that support this viewpoint? John 15, verses 5 to 6. Jesus says this, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. I I put on your seatbelt here. This is going to be one of those that kind of takes your breath away from it. It says, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Pastor Todd, that doesn't sound really positive. I'm not excited about what you're talking about, right? Again, this isn't my words. This is the word of God that I'm quoting to you. 1 Timothy 1.19, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hebrews 4.1, God's promise of, promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to Tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. What are the benefits and pitfalls of conditional security? Well, the benefits are this, and some of you are like, Pastor Trout doesn't sound like there's a lot of benefits. Well, there are. 
I believe the benefits are this, that the believer continues to push to become more like Jesus continuously. You see, the believer takes responsibility that I've got to keep pressing into Jesus if I want to grow. If I want to be more like him, I actually have to activate my will with his will. I'm responsible here. There's a great sense of urgency to know and follow God's words. His statutes become more important to me. His Bible becomes more important to me. Why? Because I don't want to miss out on what God might have for me both here on earth or in eternity. Lastly, sin is dealt with quickly so as not to quench the working of the Holy Spirit. But what are the pitfalls if you're on the extreme edge of this belief? Well, Number one, faith can quickly focus around works producing legalism instead of a heart change. Your relationship with God can be all about performance. I gotta, I gotta do all this stuff. I gotta look at all these things. And yet your heart may never change because you're just wanting to make sure that you're doing and saying and living the right way. And, and at the same time, your heart may not be in it. Or worse yet, You can fall into a feeling of unworthiness when encountering the presence of God in extreme circumstances. Question whether your own right, what your own right standing is with the Heavenly Father. Like, God, am I doing good enough? Am I living the way you want me enough? God, am I pleasing you? And we can get into a place where where it's a bondage and it's a burden and there's no joy or freedom in living that life. So, what is the right answer? Should we believe? What if I told you, from my perspective, that both doctrines are correct? Oh, pastor, you are wimping out. You are not taking a stand or a side here. Come on, you got to choose something here. No, listen to me. What if I told you both of them are correct? Let me explain this to you. Or better yet, let me have a great Bible teacher explain this. There's a great theologian by the name of Kevin Connor who wrote a book called The Foundations of Christian Doctrine. And this is what he said about eternal security and conditional security. He said, the balance between divine sovereignty, which is eternal security, and human responsibility must always be kept. If one overemphasizes grace and sovereignty, it is possible to lapse into fatalism, looseness, and lawlessness. If one overemphasizes human responsibility, they can lapse into works and legalism. Both extremes need to be avoided. Paul tells the believer that he is to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God's will to work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He goes on to say this, the scripture presents two streams of truth. One stream which speaks of the believer's security in Christ, the other stream which speaks of the believer's responsibility to persevere in Christ. These streams flow together in one, and it's what brings and maintains balance. So what Kevin Connor is saying is this, is that it's not either or, but it's both and. You see, we, mo- we need both sides of the argument p- to produce a healthy relationship, both with Jesus for today and for eternity. It's like an elevator. You don't think about when you get into an elevator that within the elevator, not only are you sitting on the thing, what keeps the elevator from crashing all the way down to the basement? 
Well, there's a big counterweight that you don't always see unless you climb into the top. It's massive. And as the, the, the elevator moves up, it pulls down. As the elevator goes down, it go, it's pulled up. Why? Because it creates balance. Or if I can explain it this way, how many of you love to go camping? It's one of your things. You, you, you love it. Uh, I, I think that's awesome. Uh, I, I think it's great. It's not been one of the things that's been kind of in our life. I mean, my wife and I, we prefer hotels uh, to getting dirty and stinky and smelling like campfire. But, but it's good. It's a good thing. But I have set up a tent a few times. Now, back in the day when I was younger, they didn't have these fancy fiberglass poles that can bend around everything. You had to actually use these two metal or wood poles. Who's ever set up a tent where you got the two poles on the end? How do you balance the pole? Because if you just try to stand the pole up, it's just going to fall over, isn't it? What you do is you get two ropes or strings and you pull on, you tie it to the top of the pole and you pull on them from opposite directions. And once you have the equal amount of tension being pulled in both directions, all of our engineering students, are you following with me? It's a, we're doing some physics here. When the equilibrium is just at the right place, it produces balance for the pole and allows it to hold the weight of the roof of the tent and support the walls of the tent as well. Well, what does that all mean? Well, when it comes to biblical doctrine, balanced truth is found in the middle between usually the two extremes. And when I say this, how can both of them be right? Let me give you some examples. Tell me if you agree with this. God hates sin, but loves people. We are called to be slaves to Christ, but we are children of God. There's scriptures that talk about both of those things. We read the scripture in Romans uh, 12 where it says that... that, um, We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yep, that's the Bible just said that. But it also says, but we're to approach the throne of God with confidence. Which one's right? They both are right. And you see, when you understand that, it allows us to see things from a different perspective. It allows us to understand that there's a lot of things that we may not fully understand, but it works together to help us walk in that balanced and maintain balance in our life. You see, the tension between each of these thoughts is what reveals truth. So how does this work when we look at Matthew 7, 21 to 23? First of all, we got to understand the context. Jesus is addressing his disciples who are a part of this massively large crowd that's gathered for some teaching that Jesus is doing in the Bible, known as the Sermon on the Mount. He's beginning to lay out what he, his doctrine is, what he's coming to earth to do, uh, characteristics that are going to guide people's lives as they begin to follow him in his kingdom. And in the middle of it, he begins to talk to people and he says this, look, I want you to understand that there's going to be some people that are sitting here that are actually going to, they're, they're looking at me and they see me as the miracle working God. They see me as, a, as somebody that's, that's delivering people and they want to grab a hold of those things, but they're not ready to surrender their heart to me. And he says, some of them are even going to be able to do the works of God. They're going to actually see the power of God flow through them, but yet they're still not believers in me because they don't have that relationship with me. They haven't surrendered their heart to me. 
And because of that, when it comes to eternity, there will be separation between them and me. They know the church. They understand religion. They recognize Jesus as power and authority, but they have not and they will not submit their lives to him. And because there's no relationship, there's no heart change, they're denied entrance into God's heavenly kingdom. And so we have to understand that God says in his word that he desires that nobody would perish without knowing him. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So with this knowledge, then how should we live I've got a few things I want to share. Then how should we live between these two thoughts? First of all, do not live in fear, but give reverence to God. God doesn't want anybody to live in fear. He doesn't want us to think that somehow if we make a mistake or we we don't do the right thing or we, we struggle with some stuff that he's going to quickly reject us, that we have to worry all the time about, oh my goodness, am I saved or am I not saved? Am I going to heaven or I'm not going to heaven? God doesn't want us to live in fear, but he does want us to honor him for who he is. That he is the one who spoke and the whole universe came into existence. That he's the one that spoke and life filled our lungs. That we have air and we breathe because of his divine sovereign nature. Because he wills it to happen and therefore it happens. He's not just some other guy. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the master and, and over the whole universe. <laughs> Don't live in fear but give reverence. Number two, know that you're approved by God but seek to please God. You see, it is by grace through Jesus that we have been reconciled to God. This means that we have been accepted into the family of God, that we are heirs to Jesus' promises. And I believe this, that because of that, if we know that and we believe that, that, that we should walk with our, our heads held high, that we should have a confidence about how we, the, the way we go about our lives, because you're not just a child of somebody, you're a child of God. Your daddy, who, who is your daddy? Your daddy is God and he's standing behind you and he believes in you. It should give you confidence. But it shouldn't change because God loves us and that he's given us his grace that we shouldn't have a desire to please Jesus with our attitudes and our actions. That we, because he's done so much for us and given so much for us, that it's out of the natural overflow of our hearts that we desire to please him. Not for more acceptance, but as an attitude of thanksgiving and praise and saying, Jesus, you've done so much for me. I just want to pour it back to you. I love you. Number three, we need to watch how we live, but know that we are forgiven. We should not willfully be careless in the way that we live. We should not look at God's grace as a license to sin. Like somehow it's not going to matter that we can just continuously do the things that we want to do and it's like everything's going to be okay. However, we do, when we do make mistakes or struggles, we must remind ourselves that, that God loves us and he forgives us generously. That we should refrain from beating ourselves down, kicking ourselves over our mistakes, but we should seek to make the changes that are necessary in order to grow and mature and become more like Jesus. 
Remember, God is on your side. I'm going to invite Margot to come up, and I'm going to finish with this. We should live in the present with our focus on eternity. I believe that every day we need to choose to live for Jesus. When Paul says that we're to work out our salvation daily, I believe that every day should be a day where we get up and we should say, Jesus, what can I do for you? How can I honor you? How can I serve you? What are you asking me to do today? Not because all of a sudden it's going to make us more acceptable in a sight, because it's just overflowing out of our spirit of loving and pleasing God, understanding that God wants to bless us both in this life and more importantly in the life to come. That we get to choose whether we embrace Jesus each and every day. Now I'm going to sum up what I believe in this statement of how I marry these two doctrines. I believe that God's love for us is unconditional. It's unwavering. It's unchanging. His plans for you are, are, are the things that he's determined before the world began, but that we can choose to reject his love at any time. We have a choice. We have a choice. I believe we can walk away from God, but it's our choice. It doesn't change his promises. It doesn't change what he wants for us to do. He gives us a choice because that's what true love is. True love always has a choice.